be special because then he ties Sam Snead. Because he tied Sam Snead. He's going to beat Sam Snead. Oh, yeah. He has, the next two are going to be incredibly special because he ties Sam Snead, then passes Sam Snead. So he's going to be making huge headlines for golf for the next at least whole year. Well, that's your Masters recap. I said I'd get to some NBA playoffs, but Meh. who cares anyway, who right? Cares? Yeah. All right. This is WCB Sports, the Daily Sports Report, Nick Hornberg and Daniel Thompson. My name is Jack Molino. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with a good night and go blue. Tomorrow should just be. Hmm? Tomorrow should be Masters as well. It, it won't be. Miller's host. We had a little minor CD engineering problem, but uh, our reliable engineer, Andrew, took care of things. So there was a little glitch. But well, not, I not wanted too serious. to open the program with some bells today uh, in acknowledgement of the great 
disaster, I think. And nobody knows what has caused this fire, but one of the uh, most uh, instantly recognizable and famous and beloved pieces of architecture and history uh, essentially almost burned to the ground today. Now, uh, Cathedral of Notre Dame in the center of Paris, <clears throat> around 6 o'clock uh, Paris time. Well, who knew that there was a lot of wood inside that that, that holds Well, the, yeah, that stone doesn't just yeah. sit there as stone. I mean, yeah. the spire uh, f was oak. Uh, that, of course, interestingly, was a, a 19th century addition to the cathedral. It, you know, the construction began in the year 1163 on Notre Dame Cathedral, and it's one of those great buildings that has been added to and improved on and enhanced over the years uh literally one of the most famous buildings in the world i mean this is this is as though like the great pyramids at giza had just collapsed this is a yeah catastrophe for human culture and uh sort of a sad moment in human history well and <clears throat> interestingly i actually um when they started this renovation project, I, I saw an article in the uh, New York Times about it. Sent it to my mother because when I was a kid, I actually was in uh, Paris right around this time of year, Easter. Mm. We actually yeah, this uh, is Holy I'm, Week, so this is I'm a not an I'm bad not week for religious, the but we went to the service, <laughs> and I remember the orange full moon coming, kind of rising out of the Seine uh, Seine River. Um, but, you know, interestingly, some of the renovation was actually caused by the fact that the building was deteriorating mm -hmm. because of pollution. Yep. And this is happening all over uh, Europe, in fact. This is one of the hidden uh, downsides of our modern existence. Um, the air pollution was basically creating um, an acid, so to speak, that was corroding. Coating stone surfaces and... Uh... Rain. Weakening them, and then rain just sort of washes it yeah. away like loose skin sloughed off of, you know, and you get the Michigan dry skin in the winter. Sure. So it's uh, it's a, a sad event. And like we say, who knows what caused it? Probably somebody goofed on the uh, work crew because they have scaffolding all over right. the place inside. Uh, but it, we don't know. Yeah. It looks and, as though the two large towers, the famous ones up front— will be preserved the walls on the side but the roof has collapsed the spire has collapsed the rose windows uh justly famous as a, a, a pinnacle of the art form of stained glass uh have collapsed uh due to the heat of the great heat of the fire melting the lead which holds all the glass pieces in place uh in the stone tracery so, yeah, if you're a lover of history, of art, uh, whether or not you're Catholic, uh, everybody knows Notre Dame Cathedral. And as you mentioned on our way into the room, Dick, Charles Lawton's great performance as the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Of course, Victor Hugo and all the history that's played out there in front of Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, this is a very sad and devastating blow. And uh, the French president has uh, vowed that the, they will rebuild. But uh, let's be honest, this will not happen in our lifetimes. This will be a project that, you know, it's going to take dozens and dozens of years. Yeah, and the movie, by the way, is one of the, one of the most powerful uh, movies of that era. Uh, I think it came out in the late 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Young Esmeralda. <laughs> I could dream about her all week. Uh, yeah, and of course, just an interesting week on uh, another thing that I wanted to mention, the black hole. <laughs> oh, that was fascinating. Photographs yeah. and all of the uh, details of the science involved in sort of translating radio telescope uh, signals into visual uh, depictions of what the black hole yeah, I mean, it's it's like. really, I mean, you can't wrap your brain around the fact that this image has been constructed from something that's unimaginably far away. Yeah, and they used a series of radio telescopes around uh, the planet, kind of like mm -hmm. a tetra tetrahedron kind of thing, cross-dimensional uh, uh, to trans basically... Uh, the way it was described by some real scientists is that it actually is a three-dimensional thing of sorts, but it's being depicted two-dimensionally for us mortals. Of course, the Orange Hole of Washington, D.C. <laughs> is a place where truth is sucked into a vortex and can't escape. <laughs> Well, I was thinking my, my spin on this uh, comparison between the two was we can be shown an image of a thing that's 55 million light years away, but we still can't see what's inside the 400 pages of the Mueller report. That's right. And uh, Top secret. Yeah, the <laughs> four-page summary, don't call this a summary, summary, uh, notwithstanding... Um, I think early efforts to spike the football and go, yay, we win, uh, those begin to diminish. Quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit with the, the passing of time showing that, you know, well, if it's an exoneration, why can't we see it? If that's good news, shouldn't you be excited to, like, get the whole thing out there? Well, Trump was anxious for it to be released uh, two, three Initially. weeks ago. <laughs> Now he's talking and singing a different tune. Well, and the word is that Barr has announced he will release it later in the week. Thursday night, Holy Thursday. So if you celebrate Passover or Easter, this is what's called the holiday embarrassing news drop. That's right. And I don't know if that really works anymore uh, in an era where the news cycle is not like a you know, you post your story at a certain time of day and the papers hit the streets the next morning. The news cycle is different in this era and news breaks throughout the evening. And actually, sometimes the front page of your morning newspaper has been made obsolete by news that broke the night before. Sure. So although I would argue, of course, that on the weekends, people do tend to pay less attention to the news, myself included. Like, I had no idea. Well, sporting events to watch. The NHL yeah. playoffs are in full tilt right now. Right, Some exactly. very exciting games going on. Lovely weather, whatever. Right, right. And you just sort of, and you want to tune out anyway. Uh, I found it bizarre that uh, Barr, uh, while testifying uh, before one of the committees, uh, yeah. I forget which one at the Congress point. the first day and then uh, the Senate the second day. Yeah, had this bizarre... Judiciary committees. He was at this in front of the Senate at that point, ostensibly to talk about the budget, apparently, when he let out this, <clears throat> I don't know what to call it, a gaffe, spying, you know, making an accusation about spying and then going, oh, well, uh, 
maybe I, a predicate. Maybe there's a predicate involved. I have no evidence. I mean, this really what he's talking about is it's the Trump talking point. Sure. Uh, it's the idea that, oh, the whole Mueller report is invalid because of the what they call the improper procedures by which the Carter Page FISA request was advanced through the courts. Which That's is, already been investigated. Well, and, and also and found to be perfectly done according to the letter of the law. Yeah, and it's it's a red it's herring. No spying there. And the thing that's so ironic for me, just uh, from a personal perspective, I was actually going through my Trump Putin file uh, Wednesday night. You know, sort of absorbing this cryptic uh, bar testimony where I think the Senate was shocked that he used that word, and then they even gave him an opportunity to kind of... Ret- Dial it down. Yeah. Retract it. <laughs> uh, do you want to change your testimony at all? Uh, because he's essentially a- accusing our intelligence agencies of spying on Trump, which I think is an absurd accusation. It's been absurd since Trump brought it up. But one of the things that I did that night was I was rereading an article from uh, July of 2017 entitled The Nihilism of Julian Assange. And then, boom. Lo and behold. The next day, he's arrested or (laughs) detained. And then of itself. Booted from the uh, embassy. Does Donald Trump want Julian Assange to testify in an American court? I don't think so. Uh, Julian Assange... You know, and his saga in the Ecuadorian embassy involving cats and tofu. Uh, at least he didn't eat nutter butters. That's that's Donald Trump's snack food. But uh, very interesting stuff about the whole Ecuadorian thing allowing the British to come in and nab him. I don't know what he did in Sweden, but that case has been dropped. So... His accusation, Assange's accusation, that he was going to be uh, whisked away to Sweden so that they would extradite him to the United States is a lot of rubbish because we don't have an extradition treaty with Sweden. But we do with England. But we do with England. And it's quite curious, since Assange clearly played a role in the 2016 election, uh, dumping uh, uh, leaks. You know, I love WikiLeaks. The DNC hacks. Donald Trump said that I heard 141 times uh, down the stretch of the campaign. Uh-huh. Uh, Julian Assange was his good little buddy uh, in the Ecuadorian embassy. And let's you know be clear about Assange here. He's not a journalist. They had this debate over the week um, because he doesn't analyze information. He just sort of dumps the raw data out there. And, of course, one of the problems with what he did in the first round back when Chelsea Manning was called Bradley Manning, and that adds to the confusion. By the way, he served seven years in the brig, uh, but he was court-martialed. He's in the U.S. military. And then she was pardoned at some level by Obama. Obama pardoned her out. One one aspect of those. Going out the door. Right. Kind of pardon. Uh, which was appropriate. But I think Manning is actually back in custody now on these 
I don't know if if she's still in custody, but yeah, I've been detained for questioning. Yeah, she's recently before the Assange uh, indeed uh, ejection from the embassy and subsequent arrest. And I found it interesting, by the way, that just a week ago uh, there was a ruling in uh, a Canadian court, and I'm not connecting dots here necessarily, but I find the coincidence uh, interesting. Uh, where the Ecuadorian uh, people lost a lawsuit. They were suing Chevron for damages that Texaco Oil Corporation caused in their river uh, delta when Texaco was drilling for oil in Ecuador uh, oh, these many decades. Chevron bought Texaco. So here you have a classic example of corporate... uh, Deniability, so mm-hmm. to speak, legalistic. Oh, we're not in responsible that for that. Didn't happen on our watch. That's right. Texaco. We have nothing to do with the damages that Texaco caused back in the '60s and '70s and '80s. Uh, pretty outrageous. Um, but that is the absurdity, as Charles Dickens famously said: "The law is an ass." <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think the last person—see, Donald Trump was very quiet for a day. I don't know if you noticed that. He didn't have much to say on Thursday night, Friday. But then, all of a sudden, he came up with the brilliant idea, oh, let's go after the congresswoman from Minnesota. Again. Again. Let's put her picture on a tweet or whatever showing the Twin Towers burning. Uh, I don't know when this guy's ever going to grow up. I don't think it will happen. No. But uh, this sort of uh, outrageous uh, effort to create more incitement to violence is part of Donald Trump's playbook. And let's remember, of course, that by the weekend, the Democratic presidential candidates were squabbling a bit about this whole incident. Um. Some were accused of not denouncing Trump's tweet soon enough. But you got to remember, you got to know what all the facts are. That this is, We're living in a, in a world today where uh, speed and, you know, breaking stories and right. that kind of thing can create all kinds of blunders if you're a public official. You really need to know all the facts before you start making comments. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, ignores all the facts all the time. Well, but his tweets are an example of non-stories that become stories exactly. because of the reactions to the—I mean, there's nothing of substance in any of these tweets. They're just angry and, uh, yeah. you know, derisive, uh, but they become news. Changing the subject, so exactly. to speak. And this incitement of hatred and violence is, is part of Donald Trump's modus operandi. I turn your attention back to the <clears throat> presidential campaign uh, when uh, Donald Trump at a campaign rally, this is 2016 now, uh, came, came to Boca Raton, Florida, and bragged about uh, the, the violence at his rallies over the weekend, claiming nobody got hurt, quote-unquote, crowing at, quote, how well we handled those confrontations because nobody got hurt. Uh, and then it goes on to list some of his incitements in recent weeks. This this is titled 
from the 15th of March, 2016. Here's a medley of Mr. Trump's comments condoning violence over the past few weeks. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. In the good old days, this doesn't happen because they used to treat them very, very rough. I love the old days, you know, what they used to do to guys like that. When they were in a place like this, they'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously, just knock the hell out of them. This is Donald Trump, presidential candidate. Of course, uh, two weeks ago, he said, I'm shutting down the border. I don't play games. <laughs> the country is full. Oh, really? What what do you call that? What is golf anyway? Is that a is that a game? Uh, of course, Trump's pl- Trump plays games, and of course, this perpetual obsession with the immigration problem is getting more bizarre by by the week. Well, bus them up to San Francisco and these sanctuary cities. I can give them an endless supply. Okay, you're going to start enhancing. Immigrants coming in from, oh, Donald Trump's giving you a free bus ticket. (laughs) Right. I mean, that illustrates that for him, I mean, the disconnect between his purported policy goals and what the natural uh, logical outcome of such a maneuver as busing these folks into sanctuary cities would mean the disconnect is so vast. It's it's just about the revenge maneuver for yeah. him. That's all. That I'm going to punish him. I'm going to punish oh, him. Yeah, you you think you can get over me? Well, guess what I'm going to do back to you. Even if it's cutting off his own face despite his nose. It's crazy. It's, and of course he doesn't have any money appropriated to do such a thing. But I'm sure that uh you know, getting in line with Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and frog marching people uh, the way Stalin did in World War II, uh, people of German descent were frog marched out of areas of the uh, Soviet Union, quote unquote, back to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people died uh, at the end of the bayonet of the Red Army. I, you know, I don't know what Trump. Trump is just one of these guys. He doesn't have a clue. He just he he doesn't know what he's doing. And this, of course, is in response to the fact that all this has been leaking out over the, the past week. Oh, I like acting secretaries um, because they, they don't have to testify just in case they yeah, can and, refuse. You know, and the, the huge number is like seven, I think, acting secretaries of major departments, branches of the government that have important functions. As we pointed out last week, we're coming up on uh, hurricane and tornado season. Uh, nobody's in charge at FEMA. Well, there's an acting guy. Um, at what level do folks in you know the so-called hierarchy of the Republican Party, uh, when does Mitch McConnell get concerned about the complete absence of standards or serious policy objectives here? I mean, how is any policy advanced through this lack of cohesion and control of major agencies? Well, and, and the two weeks before that, he threatened to shut down the border. I'm not playing games, he said. Okay. Well, that's... A... Where is the shutdown? 
Mitch McConnell, I don't think that'd be a very good idea. You know, th- this is the kind of government we've got at the moment. It's completely incoherent. Nobody even knows what Jared Kushner's doing. And, of course, how interesting over the weekend that Benjamin Netanyahu squeaks, squeaks, squeaks for through back into power, retains his position. Well, I, I guess... Not a real impressive performance on his part. But... No, the fact that he almost lost to a, a political newcomer is yeah. especially surprising. Uh, also of concern is that in the Israeli media... There were uh, some public relations firms uh, affiliated with the Likud party who were uh, seen and called out for uh, their online boasting about their successful efforts to suppress uh, Arab-Israeli voters. Sure. Of course, well, Israeli citizenship is determined by ethnicity, so there's some interesting and complicated problems with uh, who gets to be uh, a citizen with full rights in Israel, but... Uh, Arab Israelis do get to vote. There are Arab Israeli members of the Knesset, not very many, but they they do exist. But, and by the way, figuring out the Knesset and how it really functions in terms of these elections. Oh, there's like 50, 60 parties, yeah. and it's all these. There's little... only 120 seats. It's sort right. of like trying to figure out who's going to make the playoffs in football in weeks 15, where there's 18 <laughs> tiebreakers involved and. You have no idea what's going to happen until the games are actually played. It's all coalition governments yeah. that are hobbled together sort of at the last minute through, well, if you do this, then we'll join your coalition. And so uh, Netanyahu will again find himself boxed into a corner by the diverse range of promises that he's had to uh, put out there to hobble the coalition together. Here's an interesting letter to the editor uh, that I just wanted to read part of. Uh from uh, Mark Golden of Newton, Massachusetts. He states, as a progressive tax-paying American Jew, I'm convinced that the prospect of a two-state solution is already dead. Roughly 650,000 settlers are already in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Creeping annexation has been happening for many years. With his declaration, Mr. Netanyahu can no longer hide behind the endless military occupation to justify the denial of Palestinian rights and oppressive policies. Israel will finally have to acknowledge to the world the apartheid state that has been creeping into existence, that it is an apartheid state that's been creeping into existence for decades. And that's precisely uh, it, yeah. A response to Netanyahu's uh, victory on... uh, the 11th of April, a the, letter. To the the two-state solution has yeah. been sort of a canard for many years now. The, the the real honest answer is a binational secular state. And how troubling that Netanyahu has been entertaining right-wing dictators. The friends of Donald Trump are friends of Benjamin Netanyahu. Putin du- checks in on a regular Duterte. basis. Uh, Bolasaro was there recently. He put his foot in the mouth over the weekend. We, won't need, we don't need to talk about that. That guy's got enough problems already uh, two months into his presidency. Um, of course, he meets with Putin a lot uh, over the situation in Syria. Right. And, uh, he and I would imagine that Putin's Saudi- legitimate. But meeting uh, Orban and Duterte and Bolasaro to kind of bolster this weird 
theocracy, you know, that, that that's developing, really. Um, of course, the big loser in the elections were labor. Uh, they went from 24 seats to six. And it just, <clears throat> I've always believed this, that Yasser Arafat made a terrible mistake in 2000 uh, when he uh, met at Camp David with Ehud Barak and Bill Clinton. He really could have cut a pretty good deal then, but he was holding out, as the saying goes, for the whole loaf when he was given three-quarters of the loaf. And the situation for the Palestinians has just deteriorated beyond recognition in some ways. I think I read last year that about 900 Palestinians were were killed in, uh, quote, violence, cross-border violence and retaliatory strikes. Hamas always seems to launch a missile right before the election. Uh, you got to wonder about that sometimes, um, you know, from Gaza. Uh, who knows uh, about some of these events? But I think that the, the troubling uh, connection between Netanyahu, who's, by the way, got his own personal problems. Oh, yeah. he's. I think there are at least a couple of investigations into him and his family. His wife has been accused of some strange spending. Uh, his son has been involved in some weird online stuff. Yeah. And numerous um, corruption charges uh, against uh, Netanyahu himself. And, you know, Jared Kushner, a minister without portfolio in the Trump administration, is allegedly working on the peace process. Yeah, yeah. he and the crown prince sit around in their footy pajamas and stay up all night watching uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle videos. Don't hold your breath on that one. So, you know, it remains to be seen, actually, if Netanyahu is going to uh, survive these uh, troubled waters. Um, we'll see. Um, but he is, he is allegedly trying to convince some of the far-right religious parties in Israel to uh, grant him immunity uh, from, you know, they're, they're, they're borrowing a page from the, uh, the Justice Department memo from the Nixon <laughs> era that we've never seen, that the president can't be indicted. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. This is the program Gray Matters, and uh, we will be followed just after 6 o'clock with Yazoo City Calling. Blues program coming your way soon. Do stay tuned and don't expect Julian Assange in an American court anytime soon. Sometimes paranoia is the hipster's disease. Yeah, like I, I was at a party once, you know, in the cemented park out in front of the UN building. You know, and I got drugs, so I split. Then I walked over to Second Avenue and 40th, and uh, and I went to this little restaurant, you know, in Edix or Rikers or something. Then, and I, and I, I ordered a bowl of Jello, you know, with milk, raspberry, I mean raspberry Jello, and, and it was great. So I ordered another bowl. But halfway through my third bowl of raspberry Jello. I realized that if I ordered another bowl, the counterman would call the cops, you know. There's this nut eating jello, looks funny to me, better come over and pick him up. You know, so I split, you know, I got in the wind very carefully. So uh, I got out and I got to 42nd Street to a Rudley's and I have another bowl of jello, same kind. And man, I want to tell you, 
I worked my way uh, up to 68th Street, eating jello, driven, driven by hunger and paranoia. You know, because uh, life, life is not without its hazards, man.